Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello Trojan fans, welcome to the Peristyle Podcast on a Wednesday, halfway through the week, and we are talking some USC Trojan football with Dan Weber, uh, beat writer and columnist for USCfootball.com for a number of years. We were out there at practice yesterday. Spring football is winding down, so we're going to answer all of your questions about this USC football team as they head into the what they used to call the Trojan Huddle, the Trojan Spring Game on Saturday at noon in the Coliseum. Uh, they'll be giving out Rose Bowl rings. There'll be autograph sessions, lots of cool stuff going on. And then if you have any questions or comments for us, podcast at uscfootball.com is the email address, or you can give us a call or a text on our new voicemail number. Uh, the number is 424-254-9141. That's 424-254-9141. You can leave a voicemail or text us a question. And we got a little bit of both of those today that we'll be able to answer. Um, you can follow us on Twitter. Um, I'm at Inside Troy. Uh, you can also go to our website, peristylepodcast.com. We're on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, uh, Google Play, TuneIn Radio, uh, lots of different ways to consume the show. If you have any questions for us, again, just email podcast at uscfootball.com, and we'll do our best to answer it. And now let's bring in uh, Dan Weber, and we can talk some USC football. What is up, Dan? How are you? Doing good. Doing good. We're, we're in the... Uh... You know, uh, home home slot. I don't know how to how exactly to describe the last week when you've got a five week spring ball, but uh, you know you're in the last week. Uh, those last two practices before Saturday, you just have a sense that now you're looking ahead to what's going to happen in the you know player run practices in the summer and the 29 fall camp practices. But it's it's pretty clear spring is. Uh, Spring is finishing up, and you, you definitely had that feeling uh, Tuesday at practice. Yeah, just uh, two practices left. Well, one one real practice on Thursday. Uh, then, of course, Saturday is the spring game. And what we know now, Dan, is it's not going to be the spring game that we thought it was going to be earlier in the spring. I mean, there's really like six offensive linemen out there, not a lot of bodies to run a full second team. So Clay Helton said it's going to be kind of a glorified practice. Yeah, it'll be a you know, uh, a practice practice, uh, pretty much. And, you know, I, I prefer that to be honest, uh, you know, coming at it, let's say from a coaching perspective, as you know, games really don't mean anything, uh, in the spring, uh, you know, they don't go in any record book. And, uh, I think, you know, the ability to control it and to run the stuff you want to run against defense, you know, that you want to run it against or, against, you know, allow both sides to do, you know, whatever, you know, they choose to do. Uh, but to have that kind of control, I think, is good. I mean, when you look back at last year, I don't think anybody thought, wow, that was a controlled scrimmage. Uh, what did we learn? Because when you look back at it, you learn, you know, it, it didn't, it wasn't something that maybe sustained them the first month. Uh, of the season, but you learned last year that Sam Darnold is really good in the spring game because the, you know, the, the wraps were off and he was able to be a little more creative. You learned that he could throw the ball to a lot of different people. And, uh, 
you learned that you know they weren't going to make a decision on the quarterback uh, right then and there, which kept him in the mix, uh, you know, for fall camp. So, so I thought, you know, I thought last year's spring, you know, game, whatever you want to call it, was extremely productive and and, and predictive of where things were going to go. And I think it was when Sam completely stepped up and became such a factor where you could not ignore, you know, that he was a couple of three years behind, you know, uh, Mac Brown or whatever. You just, you said, boy. Uh, so, you know, I think they're going to, you know, this is a different team with different issues, different needs, different things to, to be able to develop. But, uh, you know, and, you know, whether there's, any starters uh, in next year's offensive line going to go Saturday for any kind of extensive length, at least those other guys that are getting a lot of play, maybe you get one or two of those guys that, that become, you know, part of the, the rotation. And that's really, then that's a good thing. Uh, I think the thing we're seeing with this team is they have the ability, no matter what the circumstances in terms of personnel, uh, to get something out of what they're doing. Uh, they're getting things out of, you know, different parts of the, you know, or they're getting a chance to see which one of the wide receivers are going to step up or how how much does Kerry Angeline as a tight end uh, really get get to be a factor or, uh, you know, how, how much are you going to be able to count on Vivai Malapai as a running back? And I think enough so that they've come up with a new formation, that, you know, three wides. But two running, you know, but two backs, and he's going to be the lead back. So now you're going to have, you know, a lead back who can also run the football. And that, those are the things I think this team has been per, pretty productive. I talked to Tyson Helton yesterday, and he said uh, they're going to do different new things. They're going to be doing things you haven't seen them do, and a lot of that's predicated on the fact that they're going to ask Sam Darnold to do stuff they didn't, you know, ask him to do. Uh, last year, and um, and so, you know, I think this has been a productive, considering you don't have Nico Fowler and Toa Lobodon, and now Vianney Talamavayo, and Chuma Doga's got a cast on, on his hand, and, you know, all those kinds of things are happening. I still think they're, you know, they're learning a lot, they're getting a lot out of it, and they're figuring out, you know, who's next. And that's when you see a guy like early entry freshman, Andrew Voorhees, who says, well, me, I'm, I'm next. Put me in there. And, uh, so I think it's been a good, good spring, uh, you know, considering everything. I think they've, they've, they've gotten a lot out of it. And, you know, I, I would consider it, I think at times in the past, because of the sanctions and the numbers, if you had a, some injuries, it was sort of the glasses half empty. And I think with Clay, he has the ability to project that the glasses half full no matter what the circumstances are and and that's kind of a kind of a you know a re you know relooking at 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 the whole spring and 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 what we're seeing well let's uh jump into questions Dan we have a bunch people want to know what's going on in spring football uh we'll start off with Stephen Poway and he mentioned someone you had already mentioned he goes i noticed that Carrie Angeline and uh Alawale Patiku and Connor Murphy received service team players of the year Last season, do you think uh, any of them, like Sam Darnold the year before, will have a breakout season this year? And if so, who? Thank you, Steve and Poway. You know, I think they all could. 
I mean, I, I, uh, there's some real talent. I mean, would you look at, say, just the, the pairing of Connor Murphy and Oluwale, uh, Batiku as, as your, as your backups outside linebackers? I mean, I said it before, you know, earlier in the spring, there can't be anybody in the country that those, those guys are their backup linebackers. I mean, that's just really, really, uh, you know, really impressive stuff. Uh, that, so, you know, I wouldn't put, and again, I, I, what you hope is, is that they do, they're playing, they played a tempo again yesterday, and the more they play a tempo, the more plays they're going to be, and the more they can rotate offense and defense. So, you know, the, the one, you know, thing about playing fast is the other team gets a chance as well. And, Hopefully you got the you know the the two deep that that can really answer that. But I I think those two have a chance. And, we, and the third one was Vavai. Did he mention Vavai? Uh, uh, Connor Murphy. Um, oh, Connor and Batiko. Yeah. And then. But, uh, oh, who was the other? Um, Carrie Angeline. Oh, Carrie. Oh, yeah. Carrie's getting more and more chances. Uh, Tyler Petit had a uh, hamstring yesterday. Daniel Matrababy's had, uh, you know, a yellow shirt because of his shoulder. So Kerry's getting, uh, and, and Clay has been, you know, extremely complimentary about Kerry. Uh, he surprised me that, you know, they said, I guess Clay was the one that said that he'd gotten himself up to 245. We well, haven't talked to Kerry about that. Uh, he's still a lean looking. If he's 245, he's the leanest looking 245. He's, he's six, he's legitimate six seven, runs good patterns. Got good speed and great hands. He just catches everything, and he's got the you know the kind of hops you would expect of a kid that was a really good basketball player. So uh, uh, I don't think there's any question he's going to be a factor. Uh, I, I think they're going to run a, a three-man you know rotation uh, uh, at tight end, and uh, don't know about the two freshmen. You hear good things about both of them coming in at tight end, but but. I think that three man, that three man group they've got now, uh, I, it wouldn't surprise me if you see uh, a decent amount of, of two tight end stuff, for example. Uh, and, you know, if that's what it takes to, to be able to run the football, but, but to do it with guys who, uh, you know, can get down the field quickly and, you know, where you make people think you're really going to have to be running the ball and then you hit one of those. One of those big guys, Sam, is you know so good at at doing that and throwing the ball, you know, in the seam quickly to a big target. And so, yeah, yeah, I think all three of those those kids have have really good opportunities uh, this fall. We got Jim had a couple questions. His first one, um, this will be quick. Uh, how has Trayvon Sidney performed this spring? I haven't heard his name mentioned. Is he getting opportunities? <laughs> Well, he still catches the ball like crazy on the sidelines with, uh, as he's coming back from that, 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 uh, hip cartilage surgery. Uh, I mean, he's, you know, he's kind of like a, uh, you know, a trick shot, uh, you know, at the rodeo or whatever. You watch him, uh, tossing the football and he makes all these kind of unbelievable, you know, one hand catches. Uh, he's got a, he just really has a knack. He's worked on it obviously a lot, but, but that's pretty much been the extent. Uh, you know, he and, uh, Stephen Mitchell will, you know, they, they can't do all the calisthenics yet, both of them coming off surgery. So you'll see them 
throwing the ball back and forth, and uh, but uh, but that's been about the extent of it, uh, you know, for Trevon. Uh, but I think you know those surgeries are are getting. I mean, it used to be you were going to be out nine, ten, maybe months, maybe a year when they did that hip surgery, and it's so much better now. It's so much different outcome. So uh, I think they think he'll be back, uh, you know, for fall practice. And then the second part, he said, "Do you? Uh, how do you see the coaches balancing reps among the running backs? Two years ago, frequent subbing in a three-back rotation of Madden, Davis, and Rojo seemed to have done more harm than good. How will the coaches make it work with five talented players, Rojo Ware, Dom Davis, uh, Malpai, and Carr? Fight on from Jim. I don't think we have any idea. I, I think that's uh, – I talked to Clay – Tuesday, and that's the big question to be answered in the 29 fall practices is just where does the running game go? How does it, how does it balance all those, you know, issues? Uh, you know, what is the role for Dominic Davis? Uh, what about Stephen Carr? Uh, you know, what are you going to do with him? Now that Vavai has shown what he can do, uh, you know, Akasedric and, uh, both, uh, Cedric and Rojo, have been limited, you know, this, this spring, but I don't think there's any question, and those guys don't think there's any question either. And, you know, the whole, uh, group has been limited because of, um, uh, and, and throw James Tolan in there. I mean, he, he can play, he can play for a lot of people. And yet with, uh, the, you know, the constant, uh, moving, uh, you know, guys around and, and guys getting hurt and, you know, having that kind of, you know, limited manpower, uh, it's really not very easy. I mean, one of the things the kids were talking about yesterday was getting used to how the guys block and, and, and what your timing has to be and what you look for. And those guys, you know, are different almost every day and they're different, going to be different, uh, you know, in the summer and going to be different, you know, for August practice. So I think the running back, situation and every part of it is going to wait until uh till we get back you know to fall camp uh and 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 we're going to see i mean there are a lot of moving parts uh with the running backs and uh i know aka cedric was a little disappointed he wanted to really establish his place in the rotation this spring and 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 didn't really get to do that rojo with the turf toe hasn't had you know, the chance to, you know, he's a little bit of a, a new version with, at 205 pounds. Looks like just as quick, a little more, a little more power. And he always ran with, with really decent power for, you know, a 195 pounder. But, uh, haven't, haven't gotten to see that. And we're, you know, it'll be number one on the agenda when they get together, uh, for fall practice. We had a question from Tarek. He said, between Sam Darnold, Matt Fake, and Jack Sears, Who's the most natural runner? I would say Matt. Matt right now, he just, you know, he was in high school. Jack Sears, you know, was a heck of an athlete. I don't think there's any question. Sam was, uh, Sam was Sam. He's just, just a competitor. Uh, you know, a guy that ran when he had to. And, and there were times, uh, when he was playing at, you know, San Clemente that he had to. And that's what they needed to do. Uh, uh, I just, I think this spring, Matt has been, and some of that is, you know, he, he maybe won't make all the throws, say, that, that Sam will. Sam doesn't have to run it. Uh, if Sam had to run it, 
that might be a different story. And, and, and we might see, I mean, he's a natural runner, too. I mean, it's amazing when you think about it. They have three quarterbacks who are the kind of athletes that, that absolutely can run the ball pretty much any play. And, I'm, you know, I don't think there are a lot of teams that have that when, when you think about that, you know, that dynamic that, that you got three guys who can take off and, and, and take it a long way if, uh, if everybody drops off of them. So, uh, but, but I would say, uh, Matt Fink has demonstrated, I think to me that he's the most natural to just put it, pull it down and take off. But again, there may be other factors there, but he looked, he's looked awfully good when he's done that. We have one from Steve. He says, what do you think the odds are that USC starts at least two true freshman linemen on both sides, offense and defense, of the ball at least once this season? Huh, not a good question. Uh, I think there's a chance. I think there's, uh, without a doubt, there's a chance. I mean, I, I would say based on, you know, what we've seen in Marlon, uh, Terry Pelletu, and, uh, and Andrew Voorhees, it would not be, a, you know, a big shocker. Now, whether is there, you know, enough time between, uh, you know, fall practice and uh, and the uh, the end of the season for a Jay Tufele, you know, or Tufele? How do you pronounce that? I say Tufele. Uh, I believe it's Tufele. Tufele, or um, or Austin Jackson. I mean, what an athlete! You know, just watching him uh, anchor that four by one hundred. Relay team, uh, you gotta think, uh, uh, that, uh, he may have the, you know, the athleticism too, but when you got a couple of guys on both sides of the ball, uh, there might be a chance. I don't, I, I never, you never want to pencil it in. You never want to say, oh, this is going to happen, but I don't think you want to do anything to make it not happen or to be, you know, uh, with the sense that it can't happen. I will say this, uh, uh, when USC opened, you know, with Alabama last year, there was a starting, true freshman starting offensive tackle for Alabama, uh, a kid from Folsom, uh, whose name escapes me at this point, from Folsom, California, went to Alabama, true freshman, he started first game against USC. So, uh, uh, if you can do it at Alabama with that team they had last year up front on both sides, uh, I would say it could happen at USC as well. I agree with you there. Uh, Anthony in LA says, great stuff as always, guys. And I hope you guys get to film, uh, summer workouts. I believe we will. Uh, we haven't heard it. We're not going to, uh, real quick. How do you feel about our three deep at the nose tackle position with Fatu, a strong first year into Clancy system? Uh, Marlon being a great surprise and a veteran in Bigelow. Thanks guys as always and fight on Anthony in LA. Yeah, that's a pretty good group when you think about it. Uh, uh, Josh is really determined. Uh, I think he, the other day, he said he weighed 312, but his goal is to get to 295 because he's determined that he wants to be just super quick at that spot. And maybe, uh, you know, some of the, uh, you know, competition coming there from Marlin, who, uh, according to, uh, the weights are never really, uh, absolute that, you know, are, uh, the public's weights and all that, but Clay said he was up to 305, to, uh, you know, and, and certainly looks as quick as you could possibly imagine. We haven't gotten to talk to the freshman yet, so we can't ask him, but, uh, uh, and then Kenny Bigelow, uh, who I think he told me he was close to 310 and looked very good. He looks like a different, he had gotten 
gotten pretty, you know, more like a Rasheem Green look uh, before he hurt his knee the last time and was going more for, uh, you know, for just quickness, speed off the edge. And now I think he's basically more going to be that, you know, plug plug it guy, uh, you know, veteran in the middle. But, uh, but that's a pretty good three deep. I mean, if you can be three deep and you're talking about, it, you know, a defense that uh, – because you're in the Pac-12, you know, you're going to be playing a lot of nickel and, you know, with just two guys, two down, down defensive linemen. So I would think there's going to be some interchangeability about who goes where. I mean, you still have Malik Dorton, who was a starter last year and he's been, uh, you know, in the first group with Marlon and, and Rasheem. Uh, and so, uh, you know, that's a, that's a pretty strong one, two, three punch up front. And, I'm just pretty optimistic that Kenny is going to be able to come back uh, and and show what he uh, finally get a chance to to show what he can do. All right, Dan, we got a couple of text questions on our uh, Google hotline. First one up is, hi, Chuma Doga said last month that EJ Price wants to come back and he's still taking classes. Is that true? Well, I don't know. I didn't hear Chuma say that. But that's certainly what we understand, uh, that EJ is there living in the dorms, uh, you know, with some of the football players and, uh, and we I don't think we absolutely know that he has said, I mean, I don't, that he has said that he wants to come back. The fact that he's still at USC would indicate that, that that could certainly be a possibility. Let's face it. The only place he can play Division One football next year is at USC. He could transfer to a junior college. He could transfer down a level and play next year. But if he wants to play football next year, because you know he'd already started the season within the, you know, in the first month of of last season, uh, there wasn't he couldn't transfer anywhere and get hit, you know, in his residence uh, of a year at his new school. So. Uh, you know, if I were advising him, I would say, you know, he's not costing himself anything academically by being at USC for another semester and, uh, see if things work out. Uh, you know, I think he's got an awful lot to overcome, uh, you know, from what, what happened last year, uh, and, you know, to get people to, you know, feel like, okay, he, He'd be a productive, you know, member of this USC football team, and he'd be somebody that the rest of the guys would would want, you know, on the team, and would would feel like he'd be a, you know, a good teammate and all that. Can that happen? Uh, when you you know talk to Clay Helton about that, he said he definitely thinks uh, EJ Price will be playing football next year. Whether it'll be at USC, he's not not willing to go that far. He said what they would like to do is help EJ, you know, be the best person he can, and that involves being a football player and being a college student. Uh, but that that there's no connection t- between. I think this is the thing that gets people, you know, confused a bit. I don't think there's a, a definite connection between him, EJ, still being at USC. And playing at USC next year, uh, you know USC is allowing him uh, you know, to finish out this year and and see where that goes. But uh, but I don't think it's it's conditional with 
him playing football at USC next year. And so, so I wouldn't, I wouldn't take that next step. Uh, if he's still here, well, that means, you know, he's going to maybe be here next, next year and play at USC. That, that's, uh, not a connection that I think anybody who understands the situation is willing to make. I agree with you there, Dan. Uh, we got a, a long question of text from Sean in Vegas. He said, longtime listener in uscfootball.com member. Uh, Peristyle podcast questions for Dan. So his first one is, with the NFL announcing the relocation of the Raiders to Vegas and the new $1.9 billion stadium on the way in a couple of years, what are the odds that Larry Scott moves the Pac-12 championship game from Santa Clara to Las Vegas after the stadium's built? Well, I would think the odds should be good. I mean, they've had good luck with the uh, basketball tournament in, in Las Vegas. Uh, it's a neutral site, although USC people could say they hope they get the pipeline uh, Bishop Gorman, you know, started so that it won't be all that neutral. Uh, but I think it makes the most sense. Uh, I mean, uh, Levi Stadium just isn't all that an inviting place. I mean, it's just kind of uh, not very exciting going there. Uh, and there's just something something about the place and the location in general that it just, I don't know, it seem all that, you know, uh, upbeat a place to, to go. I think, you know, going to Las Vegas, I think obviously the last time USC went there in the bowl game, Turned out to be, you know, really good experience, a good bowl and all that. So, and I think, you know, for USC fans, I think, you know, I don't know that it's that much different a trip. It's just, you know, you end up in, in Vegas. So, uh, so I think, I think the, uh, the prospects of Las Vegas hosting the Pac-12, uh, championship game are really good. And, you know, when you got a stadium like that one's going to be, it, it just makes, uh, it makes all sorts of sense. So, uh, so I think, uh, and I think it's better for the rest of the Pac-12, you know, for the Utah people and Colorado people and, and what have you. I, I think it's just, uh, you know, the kind of trip uh, they'd like to make, whoever, you know, gets in the uh, gets in the game. And then his follow-up is, with the significant upgrade in venue, what do you think happens to the Las Vegas Bowl? Does it move up in the rankings, up the rankings in the Pac-12 bowl game hierarchy, and could the Vegas Bowl eventually replace the number two uh Alamo Bowl or number three Holiday Bowl. I don't see Vegas pushing for a New Year's Day game because New Year's Eve draws in 300,000 K visitors regardless. Casino Brass really likes the incremental visits. Thanks. I love the podcast fight on Sean in Vegas. Very good, Sean. You're perceptive as heck. Uh, uh, I think you're exactly right. It would be, I, I would find it hard not to elevate the, uh, the Las Vegas Bowl. I mean, it'll be a, you know, again, a very attractive, uh, uh, you know, place to, uh, for the visiting team and their fans, uh, to come. And, um, so yeah, I, I mean, and, and I don't think people really understand what, what is going to happen in San Diego with the stadium that's in, in, in a pretty difficult state right now. And, you know, once they lose the Chargers, we're, where does Jack Murphy Stadium, you know, go as far as, uh, you know, an attractive place to, you know, to host a game? And so, uh, I would think Las Vegas prospects are very good for, uh, for the Las Vegas Bowl, you know, to be elevated. It was always a bowl that was, 
way better than where it was on the pecking order. I mean, I think, you know, anybody that went to the USC Fresno State game, you know, said, wow, you know, there were later years where you, you wondered where would USC go. I think a lot of people said, you know, it wouldn't be a bad deal if you ended up back in Las Vegas. That was a really good bowl. So I think, you know, Las Vegas, I think, could probably look look to have a shot at, at uh, you know, replacing both Alamo and, uh, and, and, and the Holiday Bowl. Uh, it'd be interesting. You know, you got some loyalty built up over the years, uh, certainly with the Holiday Bowl people. And, uh, and yet it's going to be hard to resist, uh, you know, the whole Las Vegas, uh, you know, you're probably going to get better weather, you know, and you're certainly going to get a better stadium than almost anywhere in the country. And, uh, and then you've got all the, all the additional attractions. So, uh, uh, I would say Las Vegas is in, in really good shape in, in both parts of your question there. Tark wants to know, what have you seen from Achille Ross this spring? Well, it looks like he wants to be, you know, part of the action more. I mean, he looks like he wants it a lot. I mean, and some of that, some of that's good and, and some of that's bad. Uh, he, uh, he probably got a couple of bad calls the other day. Uh, probably got called for interference that wasn't interference, uh, uh, you know, in a red zone situation. And then he got interfered with big time where he had a bead in the end zone on an interception and it didn't get called. And, you know, I mean, welcome to the Pac-12, you know, same guy. And, and you can't really told him in no uncertain terms without any, uh, you know, censorship of his, uh, language, what he thought of the, the call and the non, the non-call especially. And, uh, kind of had to be pulled away. I mean, there, there's part of that that you like that competitive fire and part of it you say you can't do that because in the you know in a real game they're throwing that flag even though they missed both calls probably they're still gonna you know tee up and here's a play where you you would have had an interception in your in the end zone and those are game changing plays and instead you're getting a penalty uh and you know, the other team may be scoring a touchdown on the next play. So, uh, so some good and bad. I mean, he's a, he's an athlete. He's got, you know, he's got the size and the speed and, you know, the strength and all the things you want. And I, I think he's going to try to find a place for himself this year. And I think that's a good thing. Let's see. We got Randall from Dallas by way of New Orleans. He said, I've been thinking about this question for some time. Since Sam Darnold took over in Utah, was this the offense you saw last year before the switch two weeks prior to the Alabama game? I remember you saying how good Max looked, and then, for some reason, they did not call the same plays. Uh, thank you, and great content. Fight on. Uh, from Randall. Well, they were moving more toward that, uh, West, you know, a version of, uh, you know, bringing in some of the stuff that Western Kentucky was doing. And I thought Western Kentucky was, you know, on, on the cutting edge, uh, you know, in the country. And I think, you know, Purdue just hired the Western Kentucky coach, Jeff Brom. And I just thought, you know, he, he had put it all together. He followed Bobby Petrino there, but I just thought Western just kind of took what you gave them. They gave you more, more, you know, things to defend than you probably could defend. And with the right quarterback and the right recognition 
and guys all doing the right things, seeing the right things on offense, you were going to be able to move the ball. I mean, Western Kentucky finished in the top 25 two straight years. That's unheard of. That's unbelievable. I mean, they just, uh, you know, so I think adding those elements to what USC was doing, I think really, um, um, you know, got USC where they wanted to get to. But I think you had to do them at real speed. And and one of the things you can't always measure in fall camp, for example, is are you going fast enough against your defense? And is your defense coming after the quarterback, for example, quite at the speed you're going to see from Alabama or even Stanford? And that probably wasn't the case, that you, that you weren't able to exactly measure, you know, what, where the offense was. I did say that, you know, if you pick Sam, even to start the season, um, you really were going to have to change the offense a little bit to take more advantage. Uh, I mean, because I think they had geared it a little bit more to, to Max's ability to put the ball in play. Uh, as you say, that last two weeks when they started getting a game plan specifically for Alabama, I think things did slow down a little bit. I I think Max kind of needed things to slow down. Uh, That's just, you know, he he not Sam. Uh, And then I think, you know, the thought was that if Sam was the quarterback, you don't need to really slow things down. He's probably going to speed things up for you. And I think to run that offense successfully, you had to really play fast. And you had to, you know, get people in space quickly and get them where, you know, they just couldn't defend everybody. And, um, and I think, you know, they just, they weren't able to play fast enough, uh, with Max, Max at quarterback and when they really got into a game plan, you know, for Alabama. So, yeah, I think that's a good observation. I think they, you know, they were able to just speed things up with, uh, you know, and that, that means everybody has to speed up. And it wasn't always that easy because you had three big, big, well, four, big lumbering offensive linemen. And so you weren't always able to speed things up maybe to the level that you, you wanted them. And basically you needed a guy like Sam who on his own could speed things up, uh, which is what he did. And if the first guy never – I mean, basically – for every game Sam played, the first guy to Sam never took him down, never took him out of the play. Well, that was that's remarkable that Sam just has that knack, of, and he almost welcomes if they send in somebody and that guy, you know, is unblocked. Even Sam almost looks at that as cool. I'll you know sidestep this guy. This guy will miss me. And at that point, USC is playing eleven on ten. Because you've eliminated that guy from the play. And now your wide receivers have more time to run and find an open spot. And Sam has more ability to see where they are because he's turned it upfield a little bit. And I don't think, I don't think we, you know, you're not able to realize how that's going to play out when you see it in, uh, in fall camp because they whistle those plays dead very often. Uh, and and having not really experienced what Sam could do in a game, uh, it was hard to replicate that in practice. So 
So uh, you 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 kind of had to see it in you know in the Utah game, for example. Uh, okay, this is what's going to happen, and you know it made it all made it all real realistic. But you're uh, yeah you're right. I think the you know the offense slowed down to try to get really ready for Alabama. It didn't look like what we had seen in the earlier part of fall, and that probably wasn't the way to go, but it might have been the way you kind of had to go, you know, with Max as your quarterback against an Alabama defense. Uh, We got one from Earl. He said, do you know USC holds the dubious distinction of twice failing to make the Pac-12 championship game, even though they beat both teams, Playing in that championship game, 2011 USC upset Oregon and Eugene, and then humiliated UCLA in the Coliseum 50 to nothing. Oregon went on to defeat the Bruins 49 to 31, and USC stayed home due to NCAA sanctions. Of course, last year USC upset Washington and Seattle and defeated Colorado in the Coliseum. The, the Huskies defeated Colorado 41 to 10, propelling USC to number eight and the Rose Bowl. I don't know if this has happened in any other conference, but. Leave it to USC to do it twice in the six-year history of the Pac-12 championship game. Earl in West L.A. Yeah, Earl, those are good. Uh, I wouldn't call them dubious distinctions. Uh, in 2011, for example, uh, that wasn't the NCAA. That was uh, the Pac-12. They didn't want USC in that game, so they made a ruling that if you can't go on to the, uh, you know, the, the bowl game, if you can't go on to a bowl game, you can't go on to the playoffs. Whatever. I guess it was still the BCS then. Uh, you couldn't be in the championship game. So they made a kind of a command decision when it was obvious USC was going to be the team. Uh, they took USC out. So there wasn't much USC could do about that. You know, well, that team, there wasn't anything they could do about it. Yeah, last year is interesting when you beat both the teams that are in the championship game and you just sit back and, and watch them. Uh, I think it worked out pretty well for USC. I, I would have, pref- you know, I think they got the better of the deal, uh, by getting into the Rose Bowl. But, uh, yeah, it's, uh, my guess is that's never happened before in the, you know, the Power Five conferences. Uh, I can't think that it's happened. Uh, I mean, just once would be really unusual, but probably has happened. Uh, to happen, have it happen both times. Uh, I doubt I doubt it's ever happened before, but uh, it's always interesting. I mean, last year, who knows? I mean, how how do you script last year? Um, you know, to end up the way it did, but uh, but that was uh, that was kind of neat to uh, to have the sense to watch that championship game and said, yeah, we beat you know, if I'm USC guy, you say, yeah, we beat both of them. Next. And that worked out. They got, you know, there were people trying to make the case that Colorado should get to the, you know, get in the Rose Bowl. And I think most everybody who watched it said, no, there's no way. And so I think USC will take it last year. It wasn't easy to take in 2011 because <laughs> that one, they should have gotten a chance to, to, to go there then. And, you know, if you're, if the other team isn't good enough to go on, well, too bad. But, uh, but I don't know that the Pac-12 is probably ever going to make a decision like that that benefits USC. I would say the vote will be 11 to 1 most <laughs> of the time. Agree with you there. Um, okay, we got one last one for you, Dan. Let me play this for you. Hello, my name is Ray Smith out in Oakland, California. I was just calling about... Uh, 
Stephen Stephen Carr or Stephen Carr and uh, Joseph Lewis are they practicing with the team or are they not? Maybe for grades or something. Anyway, I just wonder why I have not heard their names out on the field uh, if they're participating or not in spring ball. Thank you. Yeah, uh, they're not they're not in school yet. That's the di- the difference is uh, the five freshmen that you were hearing about all uh, graduated early and uh, enrolled at the you know second semester. So the the five freshmen who are here and practicing or uh, practicing until Taylor Katoa uh, injured his knee. Now there are four uh, came in early. Uh, Stephen Carr and uh, uh, and, and, and the Lewis, uh, they're not coming in until the summer. They'll, they'll start working, uh, with, uh, USC in, uh, in the summer workouts. The player run practices will be the first chance we get to see them with USC. And, uh, it'll be interesting to, you know, to see. I mean, they're, both of them are, are on the radar in terms of, of guys that can step in and play. Uh, the player run practices. When they throw the ball around and and all of that, I think they're looking at Stephen Carr as a, as a guy who can catch the football out of the backfield and allow him to do things that maybe they haven't been able to do before. And they really like that idea. And obviously, with Lewis, uh, you know, when you get the you know number one you know wide receiver in the country, he certainly uh, you know got a chance to uh, you know make his way in in you know into the rotation. So, uh, uh, be in the, you know, they've got a chance. I mean, we know this. Two years ago, Sam Darnold made an instant impact uh, in the summer player run practices, and was, it was obvious uh, this kid was really talented and was going to be able to play. It'd be interesting to see, you know, Stephen Carr and 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 um, and, and just. With those two, I mean, you got guys that are just absolutely at the top of their, you know, position coming out of high school. There's almost no way that they can't have an impact, you wouldn't think. So, um, so, you know, that's why we're going to be looking forward to getting, you know, getting out to watch the summer uh, player run practices because those two guys are going to matter. And you'll get to see a lot of what they can do. Uh, in the player run practices, because a lot of what they're going to be doing is catching the football, running routes, and, and 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 it'll be just really interesting to watch them catch the ball from Sam. So, uh, have to hold your horses just a little bit, probably maybe I don't know, first week of June, maybe something like that. Uh, we're thinking that things may move up a little bit in the summer. Uh, everybody seems to be going going earlier for everything uh or you know media days are up and you know so we'll be trying to you know figure out exactly when they're going to go and uh and and stay on top of that for you but those will be two of the guys we'll be absolutely watching certainly well a couple of five-star players want to see what they look like but don't get to see them till the summer so yeah no grades they're just not in school yet so that's not a big deal they're in high school where they should be um, the right. guys are here early. They're here early. Like that's a, that's an exception, not the rule. Um, all right. Well, that's great stuff. Lots of great questions. Dan, thanks so much for uh, coming on. Glad we got through them all. 
Yeah, good questions. Uh, very good questions, and 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 good good to finish up with one that lets you look toward the future because that's where this team's looking at. I mean, I do think that's some of the the concentration and the focus right now is okay. We're you know we've really set the tone in the spring. We got the spring game, but you know let's get us to next year now, and let's get through those, uh, you know, player, I mean, Clay's mentioning, you know, what's going to happen in player run practices and how important they can be for the different injured guys to, you know, work their way back in on their own. And then the 29, you know, fall practices. So uh, a lot of, a lot of questions about, you know, how this is all going to play out and how quickly will it all get here. And then to, to be able to open one, two, three, all three first first three games uh, at the Coliseum is pretty special, uh, you know, for a team that people were anticipating uh, as much as they are with this team. So, uh, kind of going to be uh, going to be fun, you know. Uh, and once you get past that Rams Chargers uh, uh, exhibition game at the end of August, there won't be much to look forward to except USC football. I'm guessing. Yeah. Can't get here soon enough. All right, that's Dan Weber. Check him out on the site, uscfootball.com. Thanks so much for tuning in to the Peristyle Podcast. Hope you enjoyed the show, and we will talk to you next time. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store.